Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country. As they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. Hello, this is Adam Mixon. I am the content curator with the Ministry Collaborative, and I'm here with two, I'm going to call them friends now, even if they don't say the same, who are just amazing giants in their own way. I have Tom Long here, and I also have my friend and brother Tyshawn Gardner here. And first, Tom, Tyshawn, thank you for taking time, especially at this time of year, to share with our listeners. In the Christian calendar, Christmas or this time of year is a hopeful time, but after the years that we've had and some of what's transpired, conveying a hopeful message that is relevant is a daunting task. Somebody would say all is not well in the world, but it is Christmas. And if we ever need it, Tom, to recall that message, that time is right now. So real quick, before we jump into the meet, Tom, Tyshawn, in turn, just tell us where you are right now and what you're working on and what people can be expecting to hear from you in the near future. Right now, I am making some revisions on a manuscript with Baylor University Press about Kelly Miller Smith. So it is a uh, sort of a reworking of my dissertation, sent in a preliminary proposal, and got some very, very good feedback from the director. So I'm polishing that up. I want more people to know who Kelly Miller Smith was and his impact in terms of the field of homiletics, because there are so many people like myself who didn't know Kelly Miller Smith until Dr. Robert Smith introduced him to me in seminary. Since that time, I've just been fascinated with his work, especially his social crisis preaching, his ministry in Nashville, his preaching, be it the feature lectures, which was social crisis preaching and beyond. So that's what I'm working on now. So I'll take two weeks before the start of the semester to get those revisions in and get that back to Baylor University Press. Well, I can't wait to read those, uh, Sean. I'm Tom Long, and I'm retired from teaching at Emory University. I live on the Chesapeake Bay in rural Maryland. And in my retirement, I've continued to do a little writing. I'm not as fast a writer as Tyshawn, but I've been working for several years on a book on preaching the parables. Hmm. And it's been exhilarating work to think about how the parables of Jesus are not just gentle stories, but they're GPS devices that take us to the places where God is breaking into our world. And I hope it'll allow preachers to proclaim the parables, not just explain them. I can't wait to get a hold of that. Wow. Okay. So I am the child at the table. So let me see if I can frame up a couple of questions for y'all. And then I'm just going to listen to you all talk. As preachers and academics, y'all have this obstacle and opportunity to tell this grand story that's been entrusted to us to remind others and to relate to others our cause for hope, while also, Tyshawn, maintaining some prophetic integrity. Mm -hmm. 
how are you doing that or how do you do it or teach others to do just that? I've been intrigued this Christmas season once again by looking at the stories of the birth of Jesus and how the birth of hope in the world happens in places you do not expect it to happen. The birth of the Christ was in, among the poor. Mm-hmm. He wasn't born in a palace. Mm-hmm. He was born among poor shepherds and peasants. And I think that means for the kind of folks that I preach to a lot who are kind of privileged folks, that we have to practice overhearing hope. That it doesn't come to us first. It comes to the dispossessed first. Mm-hmm. And we then overhear it from others. If it came to the privileged first, then it would be shared as an act of charity. Wow. But this hope is not shared as an act of charity. This hope is shared as revolutionary good news. And it can be threatening because every time you proclaim God's hopeful kingdom, another kingdom has to come down. That's good. That's so powerful and poignant. Along with that, I think we have to be mindful and remind ourselves, as Jeffrey Authors would say, in his book entitled Preaching as Reminding, so closely akin to what Dr. Long just said about overhearing, we have to remind ourselves of hope. I think there's such a deep need to preach prophetically, as you said, Adam, in this very broken world that can sometimes be very ugly with injustice. So there is a need to follow the example of Christ and the prophets to be prophetic, to preach and speak truth to power. But I think sometimes what gets lost in our speaking truth is hope. So there is this forth telling, but what gets lost in that is the hope that can only come to us through Jesus Christ and in his inbreaking in some of the most unlikely places. So I think reminding that the gospel that we preach is a gospel that is prophetic, but it is a gospel while we are mired in what seems like hopelessness, there is hope. And ultimately, it is that hope that will lead us to victory, to the glory of God. Yeah, amen to that. And I think in the New Testament, they speak of hope in terms of signs and wonders, which I interpret as most of the evidence is against us. If you look out at the world, most of it looks like warfare and oppression and poverty and evil has triumphed. Mm -hmm. But here and there, now and then, you see resurrection signs Mm -hmm. and wonders. Mm -hmm. And I think the task of preaching is to point to those and say, trust those more than you trust the overwhelming predominance of evidence. Those are truer and deeper than the rest of it. We do that, of course, every time we go to the grave and we say, even at the grave, our song is hallelujah Mm -hmm. because of signs and wonders. Yeah, that track record and those very, since we have the written record, very tangible proofs of hope. Yesterday, I was in a similar setting leading a discussion with Dr. James Harris and his book, Black Suffering. And I began the conversation with drawing from Will Smith's movie that just came out on Apple TV entitled Emancipation. It is the characterization of Gordon or Whip Peter. We've all seen the back of the slave that was whipped brutally. But this movie 
is a depiction of his life. There's a scene in that movie where Peter is among at least, it seems to be 50, 60 other slaves. They've been worked to exhaustion. Many of them have been brutally tortured. And Peter engages in a conversation with a enslaved person. And he says, trust in God, believe in God. He said, God is with us. To which another gentleman says, how can you say that to him? How can you say that God is with us? To which Peter says, I don't know how God chooses to disclose and reveal himself to some and in these ways. I think that points to two things. That points to that we are inheritors of a great hope, not just biblically, but especially as African-American believers of the faith. We have seen or read how our ancestors have mined hope, as Adam would say, out of mountains of despair to keep hoping. And it is the belief and the trust, as Peter would say, that God is with us. That's belief. Even though it may not seem like it, it may not feel like it, but it's like Dr. Long said, the trust that he is there because we do have some signposts that we can point at. Trust that more. That is so powerful. It makes me want to pivot just a little bit and talk to you all because of the unique position that you inhabit or have inhabited where you are educating and shaping preachers and pastors. How do the pastoral and the prophetic align? Because in some senses, we're forced to make choices. Mm -hmm. It's an either or. Either I'm going to preach prophetically or I'm going to give a pastoral message. How would you guide someone to maintain that balance? The yes, we're mired in these things, but kind of to Tom, your point, trust these signs more. How would you guide someone to that? Well, I think we used to talk to young preachers in training and try to tell them, well, now you want to be sure to have for every pastoral sermon that you preach, where you talk about personal needs and comforts, you need to have a prophetic sermon where you talk about social justice. Mm -hmm. I stopped making that distinction a few years back because mm -hmm. it strikes me that the gospel is always prophetic. Mm -hmm. Even when you're speaking to personal needs, it always is out to conquer the kingdom of despair. And that radical edge to the gospel, even when it's being tender. Mm -hmm. So I now say, I think you ought to make your pastoral sermons edgier and your prophetic sermons more accessible to people to hear and put into practice rather than making a sharp distinction. I don't know if anything could be added to that, Adam. <laughs> you know, Dr. Long says even the pastoral sermons should be prophetic. When I heard the question, I thought about something that I often say, because we often, and to some degree, we've ran the term in the ground, the phrase, speaking truth to power. But I think there is something about speaking truth to the powerless. So that is the pastoral dimension, I think. So while we definitely have to speak truth to power, that's prophetic. But speaking truth to the powerless is also prophetic because 
There is something, especially in my community, there is something to be said about personal responsibility. And so I'm often reminded in my pastoral, when I was pastoring, pastoral preaching, that while we must confront the injustices in our community with the power and the hope of the gospel, we also have to call our people to realize that we also have a role to play in this love ethic of Christ, be it forgiveness, be it responsibility, be it sacrifice, being advocates for the poor, the dispossessed, the disinherited. So I think that's how we balance that. In my book, Social Crisis Preaching, it's odd, Dr. Long would say this, but I give some advice about that because should every sermon, every Sunday be this sort of prophetic witness to Dr. Long's comment to some degree. But there are times when my preaching is addressing a George Floyd situation and the corruption of police brutality or dirty water in Jackson, Mississippi or homelessness or whatever the fact of the matter is. But then there is times when I have to speak to marriages and children and problems and things like that. So yeah, that's how I sought to treat that balance in the forthcoming book. That's great. Walter Brueggemann has a helpful image for me. He talks about how sometimes preachers who think they're being prophetic are really triangulating the congregation. The text and I have something against you. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I try myself to imagine that I'm in the pew and I'm under the word too. I am a recipient of the prophetic witness of Scripture and not just the axe wielder Mm -hmm. who comes in to shame my congregation, but I'm to receive this. And I also think that the prophetic word about the water situation in Flint or about Black Lives Matter is good news. Mm. It is good news. Mm -hmm. It doesn't hit the world as good news all the time, but it is good news and ought to be proclaimed that way. Two quotes from Gardner C. Taylor that just undergirds what Dr. Long just said. Dr. Gardner C. Taylor says, we are a part of the guilt and shame that we are sent to address. We have to be mindful of that, that we sat, as Ezekiel said, I sat where they sat. We are a part of the guilt and shame that we seek to address. The second quote from Dr. Taylor, he said that the gospel may not be initially kind, but it's ultimately kind. And so we are not these pulpit bullies because you know as pastors that that word convicts and cuts us long before it reaches the pulpit on Sunday morning. Tyshawn, what you just said makes me realize how much we miss Gardner C. Taylor. Yes, sir, we do. Yeah, what a wise and profound witness he was. Oh, yes. My goodness. My two cents to this very deep well, (laughs) preaching is neither cynical, which is a type of prophecy without hope, Mm. nor is it untethered optimism. Mm -hmm. It's rooted in (laughs) something. And if we don't realize that it sits beyond those extremes, we end up missing our audience, Tom. We end up irrelevant. So how would you counsel the young firebrand, that passionate individual, against cynicism? 
but also how would you counsel the one who I'm just going to preach Jesus mm. and I'm going to leave the rest of it alone? <laughs> <laughs> what would you say to those extremes? Well, I think that in my context, I'm more worried about timidity than I am about too much firebrand preaching. I think people are often afraid to tell the truth. Mm. And I would say two things. One is in this culture of lies, the truth is desperately needed and do not ever forget that. Mm. And the other thing is prophecy always stirs up the opposition, the evil one. So Mm -hmm. when you hear no back, it's maybe because you've hit pay dirt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say to both of those extremes that the prophetic witness is a witness that's birthed out of love. We ought to love our hearers enough to tell the hard truth, but we ought to also love our hearers enough to undergird those hard truths with hope. So if we remember love, we cannot be prophetic if our preaching and proclamation is not undergirded and immersed, saturated, with the love of Christ. That's what ultimately propels me to take these daunting risks to preach very hard truths that are sometimes hard for people to swallow and seems not to be very palatable. But also, lest I become a tyrant or a part of a bully pulpit, we must also remember that we are sent to proclaim and preach from the spirit of love. My God, I hope that you all continue to talk to one another. I want to see what color the wall is going to be. I want to see what happens. Well, you know, it'll be my honor. Yeah, if I had known you earlier, I know I would be a better teacher, and I'm confident I'd be a better preacher, too. (laughs) My goodness, there's some grace. Well, you are a gift, and I appreciate your faithful witness and your scholarship. It's incredible. So if y'all would indulge me for just about two more minutes, y'all tell me personally— Where are you finding hope personally? Where are you finding hope? I'm finding hope in my students. I left for HBCU as an administrator, and now I teach at Sanford, a predominantly white seminary and conservative or moderate to really push it. But I am finding in the classroom that my students are very receptive Some of them are very courageous and they really want to make a difference. They understand what's at stake for the church and they write clearly with a prophetic edge. So I'm finding hope there. I try to keep myself tethered to my grandmother's faithful witness and the church that raised me back in rural Pickens in Lamar County. Those were people who exemplified and embodied hope. They had very little, but they always found something to give. And so I'm reminding myself of that in these days. I'm seeing signs and wonders of hope in the little town I live in, in Maryland. Just around the cove from my house is the farm on which Harriet Tubman was enslaved. Wow. And when she left this county, she left as one despised. Mm. And As a town, a month ago, we all gathered on the courthouse steps where people were auctioned off and dedicated the statue of Harriet Tubman. We brought Harriet home. And that statue is a beacon of pride and hope to this community that 
There is the possibility of change. There is the possibility of justice. I'm also finding hope in a spiritual discipline of just studying the scripture. As I mentioned to you, I'm working on a book on the parables and getting into those profound texts. I just see things that I've never seen before and am strengthened in ways that I've never been strengthened before. And I'm very grateful for it. My goodness. Thank you, gentlemen. This has been a gift getting to spend this time with you all. And I hope that this is not the last time we do this. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Dr. Long. Thank you, Tasha. God Almighty, I think I'll keep preaching now. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.